If you have your Bible tonight, I want you to turn to a couple of passages. First, uh, we're going to get in just a few minutes to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. Now, interestingly, many of you who know the Lord and have been in church for a while, you already know where I'm going. So I'm going to share a familiar text tonight. But I want us to start with Isaiah 61. Also, put a marker, if you would, at Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. And we will end there. So the good news is when I call for that, you'll know he's almost done. Okay? So we're going to look at a number of scriptures in between, but primarily we'll focus on those two tonight. Now, if anyone here like me has a short attention span, can you just tell me, does anybody here have a short attention span? I am doing you a favor. We're going to begin with a summary of the entire message. And by the way, after I tell you, you can't slip out. Okay? So, well, I got everything I needed. So, okay, I'm going to give you a summary of the entire message, and then hopefully I'll be able to develop it so that you understand uh, that, that this really is kind of the bottom line of where we're going tonight. God sent Jesus to earth with a very specific assignment, which he completed, and I suggest that each one of us, as well as the church, should follow his example. So let me define a little bit of what I mean by that. When God sent his son Jesus to earth, he literally gave him, and we're going to see it in just a moment, a job description. There were specific things that God assigned his son to do. And we're going to also see that he completed everything he was given. And I want to share tonight what, uh, what is true for each of your lives as well as for the church at large. So as best I can, I'm going to present a message in a teaching way. I'm just going to present to you some principles, and they apply to all of you, and they apply to each of you. This is true for the church, Life Church Boise. It's true for the church at large, but it's also true for you as a member, as a part of the family of God within a local church, okay? So there, there are things that you can apply to your life individually, but there are some challenges that I want to make to you that will position you to really grow and have great influence as you move to your new campus, all right? So with that said, John 17, 4. Now, you don't have to turn there, but just listen, if you would, to this familiar uh, verse. This is the beginning of uh, a, a great chapter where uh, this precedes Jesus's uh, soon to be crucifixion. So Jesus is in, in the garden, and we know this as the high priestly prayer. And in this particular prayer that I'm about to share just the first portion of with you, he prays for himself, he prays for the church, and he prays for his disciples. He pretty much covers it all right there, doesn't he? Prays for himself, for the church, and he also prays for the disciples that are there with him. And, and what did he pray? So here's the very beginning of that prayer. And you'll see how it ties in to what I'm going to share tonight. The title to the message tonight is The Ministry of Jesus. And probably a better title would be The Ministries, plural, of Jesus. The various ministries of Jesus. So here's what he prayed in John 17. Father, I have brought you glory here on earth. Now, before I continue with the rest of that prayer, let me ask you this, Life Church. How many of you tonight want to bring glory to God with your life. Can I just see a show of hands? I want, Lord, so as you position yourself to receive this message tonight, just open your heart and say, God, with my life, I really and truly want to bring you glory. And the good news is Jesus is going to show us how he accomplished that. And the same can be true for us. Father, I have brought you glory here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, that's a great, that's a great prayer. That's a great, uh, that, that's a great challenge for all of us. Father, I've brought you glory with my life here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. So it, it, it assumes a couple of things. One, Jesus had a particular assignment. Not only did he have an assignment, but with his life, in the short time that he lived on earth, he carried out everything he was assigned by his Father to do. How are you doing with the assignment that God has for you? You know, there's a specific thing. There are specific things, I should say, that God has, has determined are, are your destiny, that you're to accomplish with your life. And the same is true for the church at large. Life Church, Boise, Idaho, has an assignment from God. 
And it's so important that we pray and we seek God and we listen to our leaders. We, we allow Pastor Mark and the team as they, they share, here's the vision that God's given us for our church and how we're to express that into this community. And if we fully understand it, then everyone here can roll up his or her sleeves and get busy helping accomplish the assignment that God has for this church. See, churches today are not growing. They're not really blossoming. And one of the, it's not for a lack of activity. Churches are busier than ever. But we're not uh, measuring, well, we're not seeing great fruit from a lot of the activity that we have. We're not seeing a lot of disciples being born, being made. So let me continue. I'm going to get sidetracked. I believe foundationally to what I want to share tonight that a healthy local church is the hope of the world. Can you, can you receive that? Yes. That a healthy local church is the hope of the world. God's desire is to reach men and women, boys and girls, through His church, the bride of Christ. And if that is true, and since that is true, we need to consider uh, the condition of the church at large. So I'm not speaking about my church. I'm not speaking specifically about your church. But if you'll allow me, based on my travel and being in a number of churches, here's what I'm I'm understanding more and more and what statistics would tell us and what we see at large in the body of Christ. While it's true that a healthy local church is the hope of the world, there's an unfortunate bit of news I need to share. The church in general, the church at large in America is extremely unhealthy. See, the church in America is actually in worse condition than the economy. And nobody's really paying attention. How many of you have been impacted by the downturn in the economy over the last several years? Has anybody here? Yeah. See, I think probably, if not uh, a few, maybe all, maybe all of us have, right? Well, what we're not aware of is that the church itself is really struggling. Yes. And so I want to tell you uh, just a little bit about the, the church at large. Now, I won't bore you with tons of stats. I shared a little bit of this this morning, so my apologies to those that are hearing it again. 90% of all the churches in our country are either stagnant, not a good word, or in decline. Nine out of ten. And there are over 350,000 mainline evangelical churches, and we are both a part of that group. And of that group, nine out of ten are either plateaued or shrinking. Can we just agree that's not God's best? The, the, The body of Christ, the church should be growing and influencing. By the way, just... For balance sake, bigger is not better. Healthy is better. But as we're healthy, here's what we know. In every area of life, healthy things grow. But 9 out of 10 are not growing. Of the 10% that are growing, I believe this is even worse news. The great majority of the growth in the churches that are growing in America is primarily transfer growth from the declining churches. So in essence, we're trading partners. This unfulfilled person gets frustrated at church A and decides to be a part of church B. And there's so many stories and jokes we could tell about that. But you've heard about the guys on the island and there were a couple of, uh, there were a couple of um, tents there when he was rescued and, and they said, now, what is that? He said, oh, that's the church I used to go to. He says, oh, yeah, what's this one? That's the church I go to now. See? People just move from place to place. One guy on an island, two churches. Probably somewhere in the delivery, I lost the humor. I appreciate Yeah. If these preachers over here could tweak that for me. It's not in my notes. So anyway, but you get, you get the story, don't you? All right. So the truth is we're not effectively reaching the lost, the unchurched. And here's a new category, the de-churched. How many of you have relationship with maybe a family member, a co-worker, a friend, that at one time they were plugged into a church, but after this experience or that experience, they determine what's the use, and they no longer go to church, and truthfully, they love God. They really want to please God, but they've not been able to find a healthy church that, that they could uh, invest their lives in, and as a result, they've just determined not to be a part of the church. And that's really an indictment on the church, isn't it? So anyway, that's the condition of the church. Now, uh, it's going to get better, but bear with me for just a moment. Not only is the church struggling, but those of us who attend church on a regular basis, truth is we're not doing so well either. Uh, Some of the saddest, most depressed, and unfulfilled people on earth attend church on a regular basis. Now, here's what's happening. 
in a room this full, it could be the person immediately in front of you that I'm describing. And the truth is they are miserable. They, they attend church on a regular basis. They pray. They read their Bibles. They're doing all the disciplines of the faith. But when you get to know them, you find out they're extremely unhappy. They're unfulfilled. They've known the Lord for maybe a year, two years, maybe many years. And they're doing the things that they believe are the right things. They're going to church on a regular basis. But their lives have not really been impacted and transformed by the gospel of Christ. Well, they're not so happy. They're a terrible advertisement to their non-Christian friends, their co-workers, their neighbors. And the end result is they have very little, if any, influence for Christ. Now, aren't you glad Pastor Mark invited Mr. Encouragement to speak to you tonight? <laughs> that really is what's going on at large. Not only is the church struggling, but many of us who attend church. So again, it could be the person immediately in front of you. It could be the person directly behind you. It could be the person to your right or to your left. But there is a chance that I could be describing your life. And so even though you're plugged in, you're leaders, you're believers who are here on a Wednesday night, you're here to celebrate the goodness of God, it could be that there are a few things that I'm going to share tonight that could help you calibrate and realign your life with Jesus and move to a new level of passion and love for God and align yourself with God's purpose and begin to live the joy-filled life that God desires for you to have. Well, here's what I want to try to accomplish. That is by far the longest introduction I've ever given for this message. I promise I won't continue uh, in that way. We'll be done by morning. I don't have another commitment till breakfast. Okay. In the message tonight, here's what I really hope to accomplish. I want to answer a very important question. So what's the question and what's the answer? Here's the question. Why? If, if what Ed is saying is true, why are there so many unhappy and unfulfilled Christians in our churches today? Now, I think we would immediately recognize there's not just one answer. But I believe there is a primary reason, and I want to focus on it tonight. There are others. If I come back, I might share some others with you. But tonight, I want to give you the primary reason that that is true, that there are so many unfulfilled and, and unhappy Christians in our churches. So uh, here's the, the primary reason, and I want to uh, get to the Isaiah 61 pa passage, and we'll, we'll explore this together. But the church has only emphasized one of the ministries of Jesus the church has only emphasized one of the ministries. That's plural. There are more than, uh, there's more than one thing that Jesus died to make available to us. By and large, the church, which is struggling, the people in the church who are struggling, one of the reasons is because we've only emphasized the first and foremost ministry of Jesus. So let's look together at Isaiah 61. And here what we're going to see is a prophetic picture or a snapshot of the soon-to-come ministry of the Messiah. It's, it's forecasting that, that there will be Jesus who comes, and, um, and, and, and we're going to see this for the first time. It's kind of a description. Jesus' job description is about to be uh, shared. Now, if you want to jot down in a margin somewhere, in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 21, in the New Testament, Jesus himself quotes this passage. Uh, uh, and, and, and let's see if I can remember a little about that. Jesus uh, returned to Nazareth where he was raised. And uh, it says he, as usual, or as, as was his habit, he went to the synagogue on uh, the day of worship. So isn't it cool that Jesus modeled church attendance for us? So that's a good thing. We should be like Jesus in attending the house of worship on a regular basis. So as he attended, he was brought the scroll, that is the book of Isaiah, and he opened it. And he turned to this particular passage. He read what I'm about to share with you. And upon completing this text and reading it to the people there, he uh, closed the book. He sat down and everyone, according to Luke's gospel, stared at him. And after a moment's pause, he said, today, this is fulfilled in your presence. And he acknowledged that he was the Messiah. And, and it, while, while there was some celebration then, there were a lot of people befuddled by that because they pictured a Messiah in a different way, did they not? But what did Jesus read? What was the assignment that God gave him that, according to John 17, 4, he completed and brought glory to God? What are the things that he came to do? First, on that job description, we'll see it here, um, 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Can we just agree, too, that that is a very good thing? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and He has anointed me. Another translation says He's chosen me to do what? The first thing on the list, to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, a lot of people would make a case that that, that specifically meant the, the poor, the, 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 the downtrodden, the, the, those who didn't have any means. And, and I believe it would certainly include them. But can we just agree, anyone who doesn't have a relationship with God is poor. Okay? So he came to preach the gospel. So the emphasis I want to uh, point out is that the first and foremost ministry of Jesus, he came to bring salvation to people. This first ministry produces salvation. And can I just suggest that this is the one ministry of Jesus that by and large the church gets right. So many, many churches are good at presenting the gospel such that people can be born again. And I in no way am minimizing salvation. Salvation is wonderful. It's essential. It's necessary. I believe it's the greatest miracle any of us will ever encounter, any of us will ever experience. And let me give you an example. Somebody could be physically healed, which is a great thing, but they could still die and spend eternity separated Mm -hmm. from Father God if they don't come into relationship with Him. So salvation is critically important. But listen to me. Salvation alone will not solve all the problems that you face this side of heaven. Am I right? And so that's the primary ministry of Jesus. And we want to see people born again. We want to see salvation come to as many as possible. I will never be part of a church that doesn't emphasize evangelism. That isn't all about reaching people who don't know the Lord. It it, it is critically important. So... Don't in any way mishear what I'm saying. But when we only emphasize salvation, if that is the only true ministry on display within the church, we cheapen the death of Christ because He died to give us much more. And as we continue to look at what's available, we're going to see the other ministries of Jesus. Jesus wants to do more than just get us to heaven. He wants to help us while we're here on earth earth. Isn't that good news? So that first ministry of Jesus, prominent in most of these 350,000 mainline evangelical churches, but 90% of those are struggling to move forward. Why? Because that's the only thing they really emphasize. Church after church after church is guilty of getting people saved and then putting them into leadership. And there's a lot of work that Jesus wants to do and accomplish. There are ministries He wants to perform in their lives to get them prepared to do ministry in an effective way. So let's look at the remainder of Jesus' job description. Here's the second thing on the list. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. This is a reference to inner healing or what some would say emotional healing. Oh, I'm so thankful for this ministry of Jesus. And I have had, like many of you, do we not all have stories? And aren't you glad tonight that I'm not going to have open mic and I'm going to tell a really sad story about my life and then invite all of you to come share your sad story. I'm telling you, we would spiral into depression in quite a hurry, would we not? And so we're just not going to allow that. I'm not saying there's no place for that at some point. I'm just saying good news is we're not going to do it tonight. Amen, right? Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. So let me ask a question. Now, I'm a long way from Texas, but I bet it's true in Idaho like it is in Texas. Has anyone here ever had a broken heart? Okay. Now, you can put your hands down. I'm going to ask a more personal question. Is it possible that some of you came to church tonight with a broken heart? Is it possible that you came in tonight and the ministry of Jesus that you most need in your life is healing for a broken heart? In Psalm 34... 18, there's a wonderful promise. And here's what God's Word says. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Yeah. So if you came tonight, and by uh, some circumstances in life, whether it be medical news or a relational issue or a financial issue, could be an, a, an issue in your, in your career at work or with, with a, an extended family member or a neighbor. And the truth is, you came in with a broken heart. Listen, one of the primary ministries of Jesus on His job description 
He came to heal the brokenhearted. I believe that one of the greatest needs in the church today is that God would heal the hearts of those who already have relationship with Him. So we've seen salvation. We've seen emotional healing. He came to save us. He came to heal us emotionally. Now, what's the third thing listed on Jesus' job description? And for the curious among us, I'm going to go through six different ministries of Jesus, okay? So we're already on number three. Somebody give me a high five. All right? Here we go. Jesus came to minister recovery of sight to the blind. Now, there's really no way around it. I grew up um, Baptist. I'm sorry. Actually, I grew up pagan. That's the honest truth. I didn't get saved till I was 21. I was actually playing baseball at a Baptist school. And, uh, and so my initial church experience was Baptist, which if you're not familiar, um, we're kind of like those guys in Acts 19 where they're asked, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were born again, when you were saved? And, and their answer was like this. We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. See? So in my upbringing, in my upbringing, we were just not real familiar with the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so I do not understand the bad theology that permeates much of the church today that would suggest that healing as well as other gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit ceased to exist once the church was fully established at the end of the first century. Uh, there's a word for that, and I think it's a Greek word. Are you ready? You know, right? This is really good. Hogwash. <laughs> See, we, 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 I remember sitting through seminary classes, and I thought, well, I hear what history may record and tell us, but does the Bible say that? I can't find it in my Bible. And that didn't, like, win me a lot of favor with my professors who had more degrees than a thermometer. And I'm sitting there barely educated and just saying, I, but I read this book that you guys encouraged me to read, and I can't find it there. See, Psalm 103, verses 2 and 3, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and what? Forget not all His benefits. He forgives all our sin, their salvation, and... In a separate act, he what? He heals all our diseases. So healing is still for today. Now, what's really cool is I'm just sharing with you what I understand the Bible to say. And I'm so thankful that we don't have a God who is in heaven tonight nervous. Like he is not sweating and wiping his brow with a hanky. Nervous about, boy, you're really making a big promise on my behalf. See, here's the great news. Whether it be salvation that you need, whether it be emotional inner healing that you need, healing for a broken heart, or if it is physical healing, tonight would be a great night for God to touch you. If you came here tonight with a bad medical report, see, it could be a common cold. It could be cancer. But the truth is, God, through the ministry of Jesus, can heal His people. Can we be open to receive the healing that God wants to make available? He came to save us. He came to heal us emotionally. He came to heal us physically. We're already to the fourth item on Jesus' job description. What a beautiful job description our Savior has. Here's the fourth thing listed. He came to preach freedom to those who are captive. Freedom to the captives. Freedom from bondage. Freedom from addiction. Freedom from unhealthy life patterns. Jesus came to give us freedom. Now, that excites me. Uh, we can be in bondage to many things. See, the most common that we always think of, if you're like me, I've been in church a long time, and so I think, oh, okay, that must be referring to alcoholism or drug addiction. And maybe even in today's world, we could add pornography because a lot of people, you know, have the Internet and they're not making good choices. So, by the way, let me say this. I'm not minimizing those. All of those would come under this category. Freedom is available from any of those things. And so if tonight you're here and you uh, have any of those in your life, the good news is Jesus came to set you free. And you can be freed from any of those things that, that are not pleasing to God. But it may be that none of those are true for your life, but there are other things that God wants to address in you that would, that would be areas that need freedom. It could be that you have issues with insecurity, that you struggle terribly with your identity uh, for years, I found my identity in my performance. 
performing as a son, as a baseball player, performing as a father, as a husband, as a pastor. I needed affirmation and strokes all the time. I wanted somebody to pat me on the back and tell me I'd done a good job. I had insecurity and identity issues. And it could be that that's true for you. Now, we could continue this list for a while. There are many things that we need to be freed where we find our identity in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And that's possible for all of us tonight. And in just a moment, as we continue to unpack this, I want to share with you a very personal story of something God has done in my life fairly recently, just within the last few years since I've been on staff at Gateway. Well, if we were to look together uh, at John 8, and we'll do that. If you have your Bible, you might look with me at John 8, verses 31 and following. I'm going to read that in just a moment. But as we approach this text, I want you to just consider this truth. Do not believe the lie that you will always struggle with a particular sin or issue in your life. That is not, according to what we're about to read, that is not a biblical perspective. It is not required that, that, that you always struggle with something. It is possible for us to live completely free. And so we can only do, do so according to this text by abiding in Jesus. So let me show you what I'm talking about. John 8, 31 and following. Jesus said, so if you have a particular type of, type of Bible, this is going to be in red ink. And it's conditional. He begins by saying, if. So it's conditional. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word. Now, there is the written word. There's also the living word. Jesus himself was the word. In John 1, we see in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And we go down several verses. I believe it's 14 where he says, and the word became man, became flesh and lived among us. That being Jesus. So if we abide, he's saying, if you abide in me, you can be my disciple. You can be uh, someone who, who looks like Jesus. And it continues, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we're still in John 8. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Isn't it interesting that just a few chapters later, chapter 14, verse 6 in John, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the what? Truth, and I am the life. So if we abide in Jesus, the Word, we can be His disciples. And if we know the truth, if we know, have relationship with Jesus, then we can um, be set free by this one, this truth, who is Jesus. And it continues, so if the Son, who is the Son, that's also Jesus, if Jesus liberates you, then you are completely, unquestionably free. And the original King James says, you are what? Free indeed, right? So freedom is possible. Now, I was with a pastor friend about a year and a half ago down in the Houston area. And uh, I had been his college pastor many years ago. By the way, I'm older than I look. I always tell these stories and people go, how old is that guy? I'll be 51 on Saturday. So... I'm older than I look. I've been doing ministry for about 29 years. And sadly, here's the truth. I got saved at 21. And 10 months later, I was a full-time youth pastor in a Baptist church. They will hire anybody with a personality. <laughs> and, and I was a wreck. I barely knew how to like... I didn't know the difference between the Old and the New Testament. And I was a pastor at a... At a yeah. It's kind of nutty, nutty. Anyway. Um, I know there was a point I wanted to make. Um, it, it probably wasn't a good one, so let me make this one. <laughs> the greatest behavioral change to ever take place in my life, and if my wife or either of my boys were here, they would stand and give testimony of this. The greatest behavioral change to ever take place in my life didn't take place at 21 when I was born again. And by the way, again, am I thankful for my salvation? Yes. Okay. I had some change. And then at 28, when I received baptism with the Holy Spirit and a lot of things began to come into alignment for me and that was a good experience for me and I'm so grateful for it. But listen to me, at age 42, 43, sitting in a counselor's office uh, as a result of an issue in my life, God addressed some, some wounds from childhood and I experienced inner healing, emotional healing, 
I, it led to some freedom in my life. And I just want to tell you a little bit about that, okay? When I was a little boy, um, at age two, I ended up being brought into a children home, children's home. And I lived in a children's home from two until nine. And for uh, four years, almost four years from the time I was uh, five and a half until I left the children's home, I was repeatedly violated by one of the older boys in the, in the home. And I went for help, and I was told to be quiet and go to my room. And what it produced in me was anger like you really cannot understand. I don't know what your issue might be, but I can tell you what I've been set free from, and it is anger. And I'm so grateful to God that I didn't have to live the rest of my life. I was telling the story about this pastor in Houston, so it is coming back to me. See, old age does that. So this pastor in Houston had believed a lie that he would always struggle with a sin that, that had been part of his life many years ago. And when I was his uh, college pastor all these years ago, he, uh, he came out of a life... He came out of a life of homosexuality, and then uh, the Lord set him free, and uh, he ended up in ministry, very talented, handsome, could play every instrument known to man, could sing, could preach. Just every, he was just so talented. Planted and grew a very healthy, large church, but then he relapsed and fell back in with a wife and four beautiful daughters. He fell back into this former pattern of sin, and he lost his platform. When we had to remove him, it was so difficult. But in the process of trying to minister to him and care for him, he, he let it out that um, I had believed a lie that I would always struggle with this particular sin in my life. But see, can we agree based on what we just read? That's not what God's Word says. It is possible for us to be completely free. Well, in a similar way, I had, after these issues that I experienced as a little boy, I became a fighter, and my issue was not what his was. Mine was anger, and I mean explosive, demonic rage type of anger. And even though I'm quite small, I could get quite feisty. And, uh, and at Gateway... After years of kind of hiding this and occasionally having it explode, my wife would see it from time to time. Uh, never in an abusive physical way, but at least just a horrible uh, uh, berating of my wife with my words and with just violent anger and with my boys doing similar things with my words, um, really hurting a lot of people. It happened at work at one of the healthiest, fastest growing churches in America. And rather than escorting me to the human resources office and, and, and starting the process of removing me from staff, they pushed pause on my leadership role, placed me in a secondary role. They got me professional counseling with a spirit-filled counselor. I call her Jesus in a pantsuit. <laughs> she heard the Lord and ministered to me. And for the first time in my life, I'd been married about 18 years at the time, and it was the first time I had ever revealed to my wife what took place in that children's home because I was embarrassed. I lived with horrible shame, even though in no way could I have uh, been a part of that. I just was a recipient of abuse. And, uh, and God is so good. He put me with this Holy Spirit counselor who ministered inner healing to me. And the end result of that was freedom. And I no longer struggle with anger. Now, like anyone else, when my team loses, I don't say praise the Lord. See, but, but I want you to know, I do not live with the explosive anger that once controlled my life. And so that's my story. What I want to say to you, I did what I said what I, was, I wasn't going to do. I just told a sad story. Anybody else got one? No. Uh, what I want to say is it could be that there's an issue in your life that needs to be addressed, that you've hidden, you've never talked about it, you're embarrassed by it, it's something maybe that happened to you. There is a pattern that nobody really knows about, but God knows and I want to tell you tonight, freedom is available to you. All right? So what I, what I learned in this process is Jesus sets us free. The Holy Spirit keeps us free. Amen. And so when we fully receive and activate the Holy Spirit, we can live a life of freedom. Now, a wonderful word picture, and we'll move to the final two. And aren't you glad I'm not going to take as long with points five and six? Okay? <laughs> let me just say this. In this room tonight, there are lights installed, and they allow us to see and get around here in this room. But at some point, somebody had to come into the room and flip a switch to activate the lights. Listen to me. Many of you have the Holy Spirit residing in you. And what you need to do tonight, 
by an act of submitting your will and letting us pray and join with you is to activate the Holy Spirit so that the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit can be put on display in your life. And freedom is available. Can you receive that? All right, here's, here's the fifth assignment on Jesus' job description. Jesus came to set at liberty those who are, odd word, bruised. Those who are bruised. Now, this is a, another reference to inner healing, I believe. Now, I want to look at an obscure, even awkward verse. In the King James, it's really odd. In the King James, Proverb 20, verse 30, it's the very last verse in the 20th Proverb. It says this, The blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil, and so do stripes the inward parts of the belly. Now, how many of you are glad you came to church tonight? Yeah. Isn't that an odd verse? Now, when I find a verse that's that unusual, I get my iPad out and I begin to explore other paraphrases or translations that, that might be a little more uh, easy for me to comprehend. And so, when I came across today's English version, here's what I found. Sometimes it takes a painful or difficult experience to make us change our ways. Here's an example of that. You only have to touch a hot stove once and you'll say, never again. I'm going to check that and make sure before I touch it again, right? Several years ago, again, we came on the Gateway team nine years ago this week. After pastoring in Houston for 15 years, we transitioned uh, up to the Dallas-Fort Worth area and we joined the Gateway team when Gateway was much, much smaller and we've been a part of just a, a wonderful ministry for several years. But we left a home that we had lived in for 14 years, and we really loved it. It was on a large piece of land, uh, a ranch-style home, and in that home, both of our boys uh, were born to us. They weren't born in the home, but they were born in a hospital near our home, and we brought them home, and their rooms were right across the hallway from mom and dad. And when they were really tiny, that was a really good thing, because if we heard them in the night, we could get across the hall pretty quickly and check on them. So we loved our home. It was a real challenge to leave a home that we had really enjoyed for all those years. But we left that home, moved up to Dallas-Fort Worth. We bought a new home, and it was a smaller lot. It was a two-story home. And so for the first time, our boys in our new home were upstairs in the opposite end of the house. We're downstairs in the, in, in the other corner of the house. And so, by the way, that's not all bad, Mom and Dad, right? But in this particular instance, just a few weeks after we had uh, moved into that house and we'd gotten all the furniture in the right place, including these in incredibly cool bunk beds in my son Levi's room. Now, Levi was five at the time. So this is nine years ago. He was five at the time. And, and one night, sound asleep, like you, at 2 a.m., I am out. I am really enjoying my rest. And I hear this shrill cry in the middle of the night. And without, how many of you as parents know your kids' voices? See, I didn't have to go, what was that noise? And how should I respond? Before I knew, I mean, I'm startled awake. I recognize that's Levi. I remembered the bunk beds and I thought, oh my, he may have fallen and really injured himself because he cried out. So I'm on my feet, running, pitch black of night, new home, not familiar with the lay of the furniture. And as I ran toward the stairs... I caught my thigh on the corner of a piano bench that had been left turned out. And if you're wondering, even though this, again, nine years ago, I'd been in ministry a little over 20 years at the time, I didn't say, praise the Lord. <laughs> I did not. I didn't quote my favorite scripture. <laughs> what I said, I'm just not, you know, we're out of time. I'm, uh, I was really, I was really injured. And just in a matter of minutes, I know all the moms in here are like, what about, he was fine. Levi was fine. <laughs> Every mom in here is like, I want to know about the boy. So my leg had a huge bruise. See, the blueness of a wound in that King James is a bruise. Mm -hmm. And I had a good size one right here on my leg. And by the time I got up to Levi's room and I continued, I was a good dad. He had fallen out of the bottom bunk. And he'd already, you know, I helped him back in bed and he would soon be fast asleep. And I limped downstairs. And the next morning, I actually had uh, a men's Bible study group. And I thought, hey, this is pretty cool. I've got a good bruise. I'm going to wear shorts and flip-flops. <laughs> so I have this early, like 6.30, men's Bible study group. And I walk in and I'm just thinking, man, I'm going to get some sympathy. Wait a minute, I'm doing men's group. I mean, I thought to myself, Lord, can I please at some point in my life lead a woman's small group? 
And this would have been the day for it because you would have gotten a lot of sympathy and concern. But no, on this day I had men, so none of them. About the only thing that even close to compassion was, dude, what happened to you? In other words, it was noticeable that I was limping, but they're like, what's up with that? So uh, I got a lot of advice, unrequested, undesired, but I got advice like, hey, slow down. Life's not an emergency. And my favorite, don't run in the dark. Now, these are things, you know, that's guys for you. The best advice of all, the best advice of all. Here's what I heard from the oldest man in the group. After all the young guys shared, he said, why don't you stay in bed and let your wife take care of those boys? Okay, so that's a funny story. That's a really funny story. But listen, listen, I want to make a point if I can. How many of you know that not all painful life experiences are funny? Not all experiences like what I just described make us laugh. And tonight in this room, there are some of you who suffer with ongoing chronic physical pain. There are others who have endured for long seasons emotional pain. And if that's true for anyone here, I really want you to... uh, Tune in to these last few minutes and see what the Lord might want to offer you. It could be that, uh, th- that you've been wounded in a number of ways. And so remembering a bruise is an outward sign that there's a problem on the inside. A, a, a bruise is an outward sign that something on the inside is wounded. Would you agree with that? And so it could be in the same way that one guy in my small group said, What happened to you? It could be as people get to know you because of some wounds that you've experienced, whether they ask it, they're at least thinking it. What happened to you? What is your story? Why do you react or respond that way? When when things like this happen, you give a reaction like this, right? So it could be that that would be your story. I'm aware of of a number of things that uh, people... That, that I've counseled just in the last little bit have struggled with. Recently, I sat down with a wife whose husband had been unfaithful to her. Deep wounds. I just cannot imagine how difficult that might be. There was another, a wayward child who had really strayed from the things that parents had taught that child. A friend had betrayed um, a, a person, and uh, or maybe I could say it this way, a person had been betrayed by their best, best friend. It was very, very painful for them. Uh, there are others. I, uh, I know of someone who uh, made an error on the basketball court, cost his team a game, and the coach cursed him and yanked him off the field by his jersey and humiliated him before his peers. But all of us could add to that list uh, wounds or painful experiences that we've walked through in life. And what I want to tell you tonight is that one of the ministries of Jesus is to set at liberty those who are bruised. So the question is, do you have bruises? As I tell these stories, does anything come to mind? Is the Holy Spirit spotlighting anything in your life that needs to be healed? One of the ministries of Jesus is that He would touch and heal the bruises in our lives. So last point before we move to the sixth and final part of Jesus' job description. Life's most painful lessons are great teachers if we choose to learn. Are you choosing to learn from the difficult experiences that you are encountering in life from the bruises and the, 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 the difficult uh, experiences that you are, are walking through in life. Here's the sixth and final part of Jesus' job description. Thus far, we've seen that He came to save us, He came to heal us, and He came to set us free. So here's the final thing. Jesus came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, let me ask, is there anyone here that could stand to get a little more of God's favor on your life? Yeah? yeah. Don't we want to just live in the favor of God? Um, how many of you would just be excited tonight if God could release from heaven, and He can and He will, hope for your situation? One of the greatest strategies of the enemy is to rob us of hope. One of the things he has set out to do is steal and rob us of the hope that God wants to put in our lives. And I'm reminded of just a couple of, uh, of, of passages. One is in Acts chapter 27. Now, this is an amazing story. I think it would make a great Hollywood movie. Acts 27 uh, uh, recounts for us this, this shipwreck that Paul experienced. 
And uh, in Acts 27, uh, it, 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 it appears that they're in a storm in the ship. By the way, there are 276 men on this boat, and everyone on the boat, according to the Scriptures, feared for his life. None of them thought they were going to make it through. And the enemy is so good when we're going through difficult storms in life because what happened is they got caught up in a storm. They did not have the radar that we do today. And they got out in a really bad storm. And according to the Bible here, it lasted for a few weeks. This is days on end of a terrible storm, and they just can't get away. They did everything they knew to do. They, they threw everything from underneath the belly of the ship. They threw it overboard. They tossed things that weren't essential. Listen, some of us are going through storms in life right now, and we need to determine what is on my plate that I really don't need. What is it that I might just need to get out of the way and focus more on the purposes and the things of God? And so in this, in this particular verse, verse 20 in Acts 27, here's what the Scripture says. When sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, finally we gave up all hope. One of the greatest strategies, again, of the enemy is to rob us of hope. But I want to end with a great promise from Scripture I'd ask you when we started to put a marker at Jeremiah 29. Look with me at Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Now, this is really a good verse. Here we see God speaking, and He says this, I know the plans I have for you. That alone is incredible. God has a plan for you. He's aware of your situation, and God is saying tonight, I have a plan for you. Plans to what? Prosper you, not to harm you. Listen, this not only applies to your individual lives, this is for you as a church. Prophetically, I just want to declare over you, God has great plans for Life Church here in Boise. As you relocate and position yourself to be a, a, a community-impacting, thriving, growing church, God has great plans for you. He wants to prosper you, not harm you. Plans to give you, individually and as a church, plans to give you hope and a bright, wonderful future. John 10.10 summarizes everything we've talked about tonight or what I've been sharing with you. We must realize God and Satan have a plan for our lives. They both have a plan and a purpose for our lives. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. In other words, he wants to rob us of hope. But Jesus says this, I have come to offer you a life full of joy. Church, is it possible for us in the midst of broken life, in the good days and the bad, is it possible for us to be full of the joy of the Lord? I believe it is. Now, many of us don't live that way, but tonight we can, we can reconnect with our loving God and experience this wonderful hope that He wants to deposit. The bottom line is this, we get to choose. Do you choose A or B? Do you choose uh, one or the other? Do you choose happiness or misery? Will tonight you be a recipient of hope or will you settle for despair? As we close, just a challenge to the church and then I just want to pray a few things over and I promise I'll be out of the way. In order for Life Church Boise to be that growing, thriving, community-impacting church that I, I believe God intends for you to be, in order for that to be true, you must emphasize all of the ministries of Jesus that we've discussed tonight in relevant and practical ways. As I met with the team this morning, here's a great summary of what God wants to be true. If you through the plans that are enacted to help you accomplish God's purpose, if you help people, God will send you more people because God loves people. How many of you know tonight God loves people? Yes. He loves those who are broken as well as those who are uh, completely restored. God loves people. And He will bring people from all over to be a part of this great church some to help minister to the others, but some to receive the ministry that you can give. You must have in place all of these ministries of Jesus in order to be the healthy church that God desires for you to be. So as we close, here's what I want to do. I want to personalize this. And I want to ask you, would you stand with me? I'm going to pray over you in just a moment and ask you if there's a response you need to make. But let me ask you this.
as you've listened to what's been shared tonight, and I recognize it was quite lengthy. We covered a familiar text. We looked at a number of things that Jesus uh, desired to do. He, he accomplished all of these. He's made them available to us. Which ministry of Jesus do you need in your life tonight? Do you need to be born again? Do you need to be saved? Have you experienced forgiveness of your sin? If not, listen, we want to pray with you. We want to ask the Lord to do that great miracle of salvation, the first and foremost, the primary ministry of Jesus. But it could be that on the Wednesday night crowd, there would be few here that fall into that category. If that is you, we want to pray for you. But for those who already have been born again, you have a relationship with Jesus. Could it be that that tonight you need healing for a broken heart? Jesus wants to heal you tonight. Could it be that you have bruises that need to be addressed, that God would want to touch and help you address those bruises? It might be physical healing that you need. It could be that you need freedom from some bondage or addiction, some unhealthy life pattern. It might be that you need God's hope and or favor upon your life. So I want to ask you to do this. I want to just pray for you. But as I pray, I want you to be asking, Lord, which ministry of Jesus do I need in my life? And I want to ask you, if there is any ministry of Jesus that you need, would you just be brave enough to come stand right down here? And I'm just going to pray a brief prayer. I'm not going to hold you. Pastor will be here with me. And if there are things that you need to talk about with someone, I'm not in a hurry. I'd be happy to chat with you and pray with you. But I want you to know that your church is wonderfully positioned to do great things for God. But healthy churches are led by healthy leaders. Are you completely healthy? Could it be that by receiving one of the ministries of Jesus into your life tonight, you become a healthier leader so that you can fulfill the purpose that He has for your life? So I want to pray for you. And as I am praying, would you do me a favor? If you have a need in your life, if you say, you know, one of those things really connected with my heart, would you come and just join me down front? And then I want to pray with you. So as a general prayer, just join with me. And then others, if you're needing to come and just receive prayer personally, you come and join me. Would you do that? Father, thank you for your wonderful son, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the ministries of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the the receptivity by this group tonight, for the awareness that, Jesus, you died to do more than to save us. You you, want to make us whole. You want to heal us, Lord. You want to physically touch us, Lord. You want to set us free of bondages and addictions, Lord. You want to extend heaven to us, favor and hope. And Lord, there are some here with bruises tonight who have been wounded by life experiences, wounded by by all that goes on between uh, uh, heaven and hell, Lord. And we just need tonight to receive the ministries of Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.